Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Who was that child that was laid in that manger? It was mighty God, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. And these things were foretold. They're not something that was made up by Christians. These come out of the Jewish passages, the Jewish scriptures. And of course, there's Isaiah 7:14, which we have to talk about. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God coming to earth as a baby was foretold in the scriptures. Scriptures that had been forgotten or ignored because many were looking for a different type of king. Today on Practical Christian Living, we continue looking at the prophecies that pointed us to the baby born in a manger, who came humbly and obediently to the lowest of us. May this Christmas remind us that God came to take the poor and the lonely and lift them up. With more from Luke 2, 1 through 20, here's Robert Furrow. Verse 6, it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And being a firstborn son gives you certain rights. We learn later on in the Bible that he's not only the firstborn son of Mary, but he is the firstborn of God the Father. And you say, well, how could he be the firstborn? Adam was the first one that was ever born. Because Jesus is the firstborn in the sense of the one that all the inheritance goes to. It's not firstborn in number. It's the firstborn rights that were given to Jesus. And the rest of the family, the rest of the kids that came after the firstborn would share in the inheritance of the firstborn. They would get a portion of it, but you would share in the inheritance of the firstborn. That means that if you were a second or thirdborn son or daughter, you want to make sure your relationship stayed really, really good with the firstborn because eventually he would inherit it all. He would inherit everything. And the Bible says that Jesus has inherited everything and that you and I share in his inheritance. We are adopted children of God and it is so spectacular what you have for eternity that Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, you have everything. He's writing to them about several problems they have. There's jealousies, there's bickering, there's arguments, there's carnality about which is the better leader and who they follow. And he's dumbfounded by it. He's like, you have everything. You've got it all. Don't you know what you have? And that's the truth for us as well. You think, well, I don't have very much. I've struggled my whole life. No, you have everything. You have it all because you share in the inheritance of Christ, the book of Ephesians tells us. And that's absolutely amazing. So he is her firstborn son. And I think it's very specific that he told us here that he is the firstborn. And it says, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, which is uh, just in blankets of their day, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. So they laid him in a feeding trough. And this speaks of the humility of the Messiah. When kings go places, kings and queens, they generally want to be treated really well. They want people to go out of their way. They want the best of whatever it is. They want the best softest beds. They want the best accommodations that they can have. And for the most part, people would put, well, put up with it, right? Even today where there are monarchies, people will put up with it, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus humbled himself and became a man. And he didn't go to a princess to be brought up in a palace somewhere, 
but he went to a, a woman who was going to struggle. They left Nazareth. They moved to Bethlehem and they stayed there for at least two years because it's two years later that the wise men show up. I know that messes up your, your little, you know, nativity, but the wise men aren't there. I always say, move them to the other side of the house. There are ways away. They're hanging out at this point in Babylon somewhere as the wise men of Babylon. Put them two miles down the road, something. Put them, in, put them in your children's house. Have them there, and you take theirs and put them in your house, and it'll be more accurate. But they stayed there for that long. Why did they just get kind of stuck in Bethlehem? Well, they had a baby, right? And he couldn't travel right away because he wants to protect this baby. And so he has to get a job, and he gets a job in Bethlehem, and he just kind of stays there. And it's two years later when the wise men show up, and then he's warned in a dream that he has to get up and flee to Egypt. And so he comes as a child. Let me read you Philippians chapter two, verse five, which talks about what Jesus gave up and how he humbled himself. It says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. This, you have the same mind that he had, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And here's the mind we're supposed to have. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. Paul says, have that same mindset. Don't, don't be looking out for your reputation. Be of no reputation. Humble yourself. Don't think more of yourself than you should. This is such an important teaching for us, but it helps us to understand that Jesus humbled himself in becoming a man and did not come to a wealthy family, did not come to a family anyone could brag about. It goes on to say, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient. And that's why they laid him in a manger and not in a crib. That's why he wasn't born in a palace with silk sheets and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. So then, and just let me give you a couple of verses now that speak about this child being born because we just read of the birth of the child here. So in Isaiah 9, 6, we have one of these great Christmas prophecies that says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, this is, this is an incredible prophecy that there's going to be the birth of a child. This is 700 years before the time of Christ, by the way, 675 or so. So it's hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. There's the promise that we're going to have a child born to us, a son born to us. And then it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Here we have something we find in the Old Testament, which we'll talk about more in another place. In the Old Testament, we find dual powers in heaven. We find the, the angel of the Lord and Yahweh. And we find the son of man who reigns and rules alongside of the ancient of days in Daniel chapter seven. There's many passages where we find these two people, persons, who are ruling together in heaven in the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament gives us a complicated picture of God. It doesn't give us this picture of, we know that God is one, but we know that God is complex. So you have this complexity of God taught throughout the Old Testament. And here's one of them, a child who's gonna be born, who's gonna be called heavenly father, or is gonna be called everlasting father and mighty God. Literally it says, this child who will be born will be called mighty God. This is one of the verses that I go to when I'm debating someone whether or not Jesus is deity. He is mighty God. The only response I've ever gotten back from people is, well, it says mighty God, not almighty God. And then I go to Revelation chapter one, 
where Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God. Look at the passage up in Revelation. It's the Son of Man who's telling you, I am Almighty God. Very clearly, very clearly in the scriptures. Who is that child that was laid in that manger? It was Mighty God, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. And these things were foretold. They're not something that was made up by Christians. These come out of the Jewish passages, the Jewish scriptures. And of course, there's Isaiah 7, 14, which we have to talk about. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Again, the same concept. God will be with us. A virgin will conceive. Behold, this is a sign. So all the arguments they try to do against, they try to say, this isn't really a miracle. The sign is, is that a young girl is going to conceive because this word for virgin could be used for young girl as well. The young girl they would be talking about would be a virgin, by the way. And it wouldn't be a sign if it wasn't a virgin. All of those arguments are ways that people try to dismiss these because they're so strong. They're so strong. These, these prophecies are so strong. People try to dismiss them by saying these things that if you think about it, don't work at all. What's the behold? And behold, I give you a sign. A young girl's going to have a baby. If that's what he's trying to say, that doesn't mean anything. But I give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. By the way, when the Septuagint was written 300 years before the time of Christ, the Septuagint is the Greek copy of the Old Testament. The Septuagint used the Greek word for virgin 300 years before the time of Christ. So they read it as a virgin. So much so that they translated it over into the Septuagint in that way. Now let's get on to, to verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. That's such a grand passage, but it's a grand passage because the King of kings and Lord of lords, because the God of heavens has been born as a human and so these angels come now and they're going to announce it to shepherds. And this is so laid out again in the Old Testament that the Messiah comes to the lowly. He comes to the poor. When Gabriel showed up to Mary, he said, rejoice for those who are poor and those who are lowly are about to be exalted. And when Mary sang her song, she praised God because he was going to exalt the lowly and he was going to bring down the humble. And he comes to shepherds and shepherds in our minds, because Jesus is a shepherd, and we see pictures of Jesus with the sheep around his shoulder. And we consider him as a shepherd. We think, well, to be a shepherd is pretty prestigious. But it's not. It's not today. And it wasn't in their day. If you go to Israel today, you will run into to shepherds, people leading flocks of goats and sheep. And they're almost always children. I mean, very young children, like 9, 10, 11 years old, because it's not prestigious. It's something that that's why David was a shepherd out. You know, he's the youngest of seven brothers. And he's out keeping the sheep because it wasn't prestigious. In ancient times, they were known as thieves. They were known as liars. They were known as someone you watched out for. When shepherds were around your area, you were like, hey, watch, watch the stuff around the house. But God says, I'm going to announce the birth of the Messiah to shepherds because God came to take lowly people and lift them up. May we never forget that in our ministry. May we never forget that God's called us to minister to people who are poor, poor in spirit, poor physically, to, to those who are humble, to those who are struggling, to those that have needs. 
All too often churches minister to those who have money, minister to those who are wealthy, minister to those who have position. When God's called us to minister to the poor and the poor in spirit as well, not just those who are poor physically, but those who are poor in spirit. And I love that he appears here to these angels. And of course, they're terrified, right? They were greatly afraid. Again, we've talked about this, angels just popping on the scene and scaring people. I think they like it. It happens so much. I think they like terrifying people. And uh, they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. If you did it a little different, maybe they wouldn't be afraid. Give them a little hint you're coming, something. Don't be afraid. He says, uh, do not be afraid for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. It's not just to, to Israel, but it's good tidings of great joy to all people. Back to Abraham, one of your descendants is gonna bless all nations. And now the angel says, I bring you good news for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with him a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, I don't want to mess up your Christmas anymore, but notice the angels aren't singing. The angels are saying. There's two other places where angels do sing, only two. You can look them up and find them on your own. I'll talk about them at some other time when I'm not so crunched for time. But there are two other places, but that's all. The angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That's what God wants. The Bible says God desires that all men would be saved and all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says that God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. To the nation of Israel, he said, please, God, please turn, repent, turn from your evil ways so you are not destroyed. God has reached out towards man through this Messiah that there would be goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone from them into heaven. Now, we could talk about angels and around the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the middle of his ministry as well, when he was tempted at the beginning of his ministry, he was ministered to by angels after he was tempted. And that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to us as well. I just think God hides what the angels are doing from us because we would get obsessed with angels. And some people do, and God's still kind of hidden them from us. But the Bible tells us they're all around us. They protect us. They protect our children. I believe that God, that God gives us angels that work in our lives. The idea of a guardian angel, Jesus said, of children, the, the faces of their angels are seen before God. He talked about children having angels. The idea of a guardian angel is somewhat biblical. Now, there may be more to it than we know because angels are mysterious in the Bible, but they minister to us. And that's a pretty powerful thing. And I think if we, knew, if we were more aware of that, we'd be telling everybody, you know, angels minister to me. I saw them the other day, you know. Uh, we'd just be telling everybody, right? And so it was when the angels had gone away, the shepherds said to one another, let us be going to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, and they came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying to those who told them concerning the child. They were the first evangelists. They left and banged on doors as they were leaving, telling them that the Savior had been born and was born in Bethlehem. I like the stuff that Gail Orwin does with this passage. He talks about shepherds being thieves and liars going and banging on people's doors. Who was that? It was the local thief and liar. 
who told us that Jesus is the Messiah is born. God chooses people who are highly flawed to be used by him to first announce that Jesus is born. And God uses people who are highly flawed today. We can say he's doing that right now. God uses highly flawed people. And I love it. Now God transforms, right? But God uses highly flawed people. And it's great. Verse 18, and all of those who heard it marveled at these things which they were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had seen as it was told to them. What a night for them to see the angels and then to know that they were looking on the savior of the world. And I wonder if these shepherds knew any of these Old Testament prophecies that we've looked at and read today. Three things in closing. God uses the, th the natural course of things that happen, sometimes that are even unfortunate for us, to bring about his providence. And so those of us that live by faith, we say, okay, Lord, I trust you. Thank you, God, that you've given us choice. There, there are people who, pastors who believe that you don't have a choice, by the way, theologians who believe that you don't have a choice. They're wrong. They have choice, even though they don't know it. We all do. But God has his providence. And there's certain things in your life he's going to work out. When you run into the providence of God, the providence of God never gives. When you run into the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God never gives. God will give you a lot of choices, but at a certain point, he says, you're going to do this. And so we surrender to that. And however God brings that about, I love, I love looking at the idea of providence and God working supernaturally in my life. I meet the right person at the right time in order to have certain things happen that God wants to happen in my life that I could not escape from, that God has made a decision for me. Number two, the moment when Jesus was born was probably the most important moment in history. You may argue the resurrection, you may argue the crucifixion, but this is when God became a man and all those things were set into motion when he came into this earth. And it's a good thing for us to gather together to celebrate it. Number three, we continue the work of the shepherds. God's called you the light of the world, the salt of the earth. You're an evangelist that is to tell people about Jesus. And we tell him first by the way that we live. And then we look for opportunities for God to open up doors for us to be able to share our faith. And what an incredible privilege for us to be able to do such a thing. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for this passage. It truly is rich, and we are so blessed by it. We see so many lessons. We see these Christmas promises, and we see the providence that you did in bringing Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Galilee. Lord, we pray now that you would do that kind of work in our lives as well. As we take time to gather together here on this Christmas Eve, worship you and study your word. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for a couple of minutes, I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You may be visiting Calvary for the very first time. You may have been here for a while. But I want you to know that you don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't become a Christian just because you decide you want to start going to church. Someone said going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You have to invite Christ in. You've got to be deliberate about receiving him as your savior. And the Bible says as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. That means you've got the power to that. You've got that choice to that door, but you will never respond to him until he draws you. The Bible says in John chapter six, verse 44, no one comes to the son unless the father first draws him. 
So it's God's idea. God's calling you. God loves you and he's calling you. And if you respond today, you're just saying, yes, Lord. You're saying to him, yes, I want to receive you. I open the door of my life and I invite you in. So if you want to give your life to Christ, every head bowed, every eye closed, you want to give your life to Christ, then just raise your hand. I want to respond to you. God bless you guys. That's awesome. You're saying, I want to invite Christ into my life. I want to begin to live for him. If you walked away from him and you need to come back, you can raise your hand as well. You need to make that recommitment to Christ. You walked away for whatever reason. God bless you, young man there. That's awesome. You're welcome. Anybody else? All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know that my sin separates me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Welcome to the family of God. So excited for you guys the commitment that you've made. Now, if you did make that commitment today, we have a new believers table. We've got a Bible and a new believers packet we want to give you. You've raised your hand. You committed your life to Christ. What do you do next? Also, you could send us an email at saved at calvarytucson.com. Let us know that you gave your life to Christ. Tell us what God did. Tell us how God moved in your life and you gave your life to him. And we'll have people who will respond to that email, answer your questions, pray for you. We just want to come alongside of you any way we can to make sure that you get a really good start in your walk with Christ. As we come to the end of this year, I, uh, I want to pray for you guys. Bible says, let men everywhere lift up holy hands. Would you guys lift up your hands with me? And I want to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for those that are here. As we lift up hands that are holy, because you have forgiven our sins, because you were born and went to that cross for us. Lord, as we come to the end of this year, we want to serve you and follow you. We know the greatest need in our lives is the forgiveness of sin. And then after that, that we live for you. I pray for those here that are sick. Lord, I pray that you would touch and you would heal. I thank you that you are a God who does heal. And I pray for those that need that healing touch right now, that you would heal them and that they would receive it in the name of Jesus. I pray for those that are distraught and depressed and feel like they can't take it anymore. For those that maybe have been affected by COVID in some way, and they're just down at this, the way this thing just keeps going. I pray, Lord, that you would give them peace now, that you'd strengthen them, that we would know that your providence is in our lives and you are working and we trust and we believe in you. We want to pray, Lord, that we would be, that we'd be made stronger in you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you end the year strong, really committed to Christ. May you look for opportunities as God opens up doors to be able to share your faith. May you shine as a light for him, that the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and the gates of the grave will not prevail against us. That's what the Bible says. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. 
If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.